Welcome to another edition of Sports with Friends. We hope in the U.S. you had a nice Thanksgiving. Jensen Button was fun. Today we're going to be talking to Patrick McEnroe for the second time. Way back when, in the beginning of Sports with Friends, episode 59, Patrick McEnroe was kind enough to join us. This is episode 431, so it's been a while. Patrick has grown in stature at ESPN, becoming a play-by-play announcer in addition to being an analyst. And he and his brother, John, have created the John McEnroe Tennis Academy in partnership with Sport Time Clubs. It's become one of the top tennis academies in the country. There are locations in Manhattan, Westchester, and Long Island. And the two of them are going to Tanzania, December 1st through December 8th, if you're listening to this podcast the week it's released. If you're listening in the future, well, it happened already. See, I didn't ask about the flying car. And the whole idea behind it is to bring a sport that is not available in this part of the world, exposing Tanzanians to it. It's truly fascinating. Speaking of Patrick's, we'll also talk to Patrick Morrow, the head odds maker at BovadaSportsBook.com. It is college football's conference championship week. So there's the Big Ten, the Big 12, all these key games, Pac-12 And there's also Week 12 in the NFL. So let's welcome in Patrick McEnroe to Sports with Friends. Patrick, when we were talking off air, you said something to me that I want you to say on the podcast because I had trouble believing it. But if you say it on here, it'll be true. You remember coming on Episode 59 of Sports with Friends? (laughs) Well, I don't remember that it was Episode 59 particularly, but I I did remember coming on with you. I'm going to, I mean, way before the pandemic, right? Oh, way before and way before Zoom or anything like that. We were probably doing it over the phone or or Skype, maybe. Amazing. It it really is amazing how far this whole world has come in in a relatively short amount of time. You see, I've got my little step and repeat behind me of my, my holding court podcast, which I started doing from right here in my basement um, in you know, the spring of 2020 and, you know, that, you know, I've been thinking about it for a while. Obviously I've been a guest on a lot of them like yours and others, you know, just, you know, radio shows, podcasts. Ours was the fa- your favorite though. You did say that. This also. was my favorite. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt about that. And uh, so I said, you know, I was sitting, I was sitting here when I got COVID in early in March of 2020, I was one of the first people to get yes, it. I remember that. And um, I was looking at this, uh, roadcaster you know podcast machine which i've got right here next to me and it was sitting in the in his in his box and i said you know it's probably time for me to figure out how to use this thing right. and uh start doing the podcast so that's how i started it so it's been about four years for me I'm, I'm on a little bit of a hiatus at the moment um kind of figuring out which direction to go next but it's been a lot of fun obviously you've been at it for a while too and i think having people on that you just want to talk to is, is kind of cool. And then, and then you just kind of go from there. Yeah. And and that's exactly why these conversations can be organic and more uh, to me. I use this word often. I use the word intimate. That's the way I say, right. Radio shows. The, you know, I look, I've hosted radio shows, but what I find in radio shows is it's about the clock and it's about the ID because you have to constantly tell the audience who it is. If it's right. a podcast, anybody who's listening to this knows who the guest is. I don't have to open the show with surprise. 
Right. <laughs> it's a mystery guest. <laughs> if they're pressing Patrick McEnroe, they want to hear from <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah, they want to listen. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly. And you're right. I mean, I've I've done some radio myself. I had my own show on ESPN radio for a couple of years on the weekend. And, you know, you're always like, okay, I got to get to 12. You know, I got, what am I going to say until 12? And then, you know, okay, we'll come back at 16 and we'll get a guest. And then we got the commercial and then we got the update, you know, so this is definitely, um, you know, it's more relaxed I find, but it's also more in depth. You know, you can get more in depth on stuff. And as you said, people want to, they don't want to listen. They don't have to listen. And that's the end of the story. Yeah. uh, There's no secret about that. Uh, you have been very active uh, when you're not covering tournaments and, and traveling and speaking and coaching and doing all the things that you do uh, and this podcast in your basement. Um, you've been setting up clinics and doing so with your brother, John. Uh, but also what I've noticed is you're doing it in places where the exposure to tennis can only be a positive both for the community and for the sport. Tell us a little bit about your involvement and what, what you've been working on. Well, what we're doing uh, in the very near future, actually leaving in a couple of days for Tanzania is um, pretty outside the box. I mean, we've never done something like this. We, we have our Academy here in New York. I was just there this morning where we have kids on scholarship and we have kids from all different levels, you know, playing tennis, recreational players, high-level junior players, a community program for kids that come from the local schools in in Harlem and and the Bronx. And this is like taking it to another level, you know, going to Africa, having people join us on a trip, bringing tennis to a a part of the world that, I mean, I think it's pretty likely that the kids were going to see, you know, never seen a tennis racket, um, maybe don't have running water or electricity back in their house. You know, know, the, the kids that we have that come to our program once a week, from the community schools. I mean, they're still going back to a place with electricity and water. Um, sure. Oh, there's and, a major difference. Yeah. Yeah. Big difference. So I'm, I'm excited about the opportunity to bring tennis to, to that community, to those people in Africa and, and obviously some of the coaches that will be there as well. Cause I think it's, you know, potentially something that can really change, change lives. Um, in addition, you know, f- to, for us to have just an amazing trip to go see, the wild and to go on safari in Africa. So that, that certainly was part of it as well. Um, so it's kind of a combination of just a, a once in a lifetime type of trip um, at the same time, having the opportunity to bring the game of tennis and just, you know, bring a sport to a part of the world that very likely hasn't seen it before. All right. An organized sport. I went to the clinic in Randall's Island. Yeah. And that, that's I where saw... our Academy is. Yeah. Yeah, the, the 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 tennis academy, and there was some like two hundred kids at one point. Like, yeah, they, yeah, we 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 have we amazing. have uh, yeah, we have thousands of kids that come through the program over the course of a year. And like I said, there's kids that come, you know, five days a week, and there's kids that come once a week, and it runs the gamut as to the level of play. But the most important thing that we do from a, from a charitable standpoint with our community programs and we call them excellence programs is is give kids in the local schools an opportunity you know to get out of their school for a couple of hours during the day to come somewhere that's Who a great a fan faci- of that yeah that's a great facility to you know see a sport and you know every once in a while Seth you see a couple of kids as I've seen even in the last couple of weeks that you know you go out there and you talk to them and they're like 
hey, I like tennis. Like, I, I tennis is my sport. Like, I want to get into tennis. And they've never seen tennis before. So, um, you know, whether they become champion tennis players is not really the point. The point is that, you know, we're trying to help expose them to something new and something different. And, and, it, and it's, you know, a great part of being part of that community in New York City. It's fascinating. Uh, it really, really is. Um, Tanzania. Okay, let, let me ask a very naive, silly question. Why Tanzania? Of all the places that you could go, there's so many places that could use it. So I, it's not a comparison. Why Tanzania? Well, that was, um, you know, our travel man, uh, Paul Cohen, who put this together. Um, you know, initially, actually, we were going to do a trip to Antarctica in 2020 we were going to go but on the a tennis cruise. balls got frozen and it, well that was part of it they could the covid hit so that stopped everything oh. and then apparently they were having trouble getting permits to play because we're building a court in the serengeti that's what we're going to do in tanzania so i think we needed you know the tour the tour man needed to get some support from the local government that's okay. number one this is a place that you know is obviously very tourism friendly and I think also very open to bringing these type of cultural exchanges, events to Tanzania. So I think those things came together. Um, and Paul Cohen, who's I said, who's, who's who's put this trip together for you know, it's going to be about a hundred people with us on the trip um, that are just going to you know play some tennis, to watch us play a match, if you will, in the Serengeti, but also do some clinics and also participate with the local kids and. At the same time, you know, you know, go on an amazing trip to this part of the world. Do you find that when kids are introduced to tennis now, it's similar to when you were introduced to tennis? You 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 learned it. You saw it. You had an ability. You, you know, there was there was there was obviously your brother. Your exposure to it. Do you remember your exposure to it? Because now it's just synonymous with your life. But do you remember the the introduction, and do you sense the comparison to the kids that you're you're showing tennis now? Well, one of the reasons that my brother and I, you know, put this thing together at our academy is because, <clears throat> you know, we were lucky to be able to get the opportunity to play tennis. Right? We happened to, you know, when my parents made some money, my parents lived in an apartment, had nothing when they first got married, and when they they, you know, my dad became a partner in his law firm they moved to sort of the nicer part of, of Douglaston, Queens, where we grew up. Mm -hmm. And it just so happened there was a tennis club there, like a, a summer club. And that's how we got exposed to tennis. So obviously for a lot of these kids, you know, they don't get that opportunity. And, and we feel like, you know, we, we grew up in New York City. We went to high school in the city. And we want to give that opportunity to as many kids as we can. And not just to the ones that are economically advantaged. You know, because obviously tennis, as you know, like any sport these days, is expensive to participate in on a regular basis, you know, for the family, for the kids. Um, so we wanted to give back to the kids in New York City to give them a chance. So we were lucky because we got exposed to it, Seth, and then we were able to continue with it on a regular basis. And as you said, you know, we happen to be good at tennis, you know, just like we played soccer basketball baseball we played all the sports growing up mm -hmm. and we just happened to be a, a lot better at tennis although my brother john was was great in a couple of sports um but tennis was the one that 
you know, attracted us because uh, we could do it on our own. You know, I used to go hit against the wall at my club. I would literally get on my tricycle. That's what I, I couldn't, remember. And, and, and I used to just go down with the balls in my pocket and hit against the wall. And that's how I got, you know, relatively competent between the ages of four and seven, you know, to become a, a, a good tennis player. And then, of course, you know, you continue from there. So we're trying to give kids this opportunity and we do have a few kids in our program that are like full time now that are teenagers that started that way, that started coming literally once or twice a week. We saw their interest in tennis. We saw a, a, a little bit of talent for tennis, you know, hitting the ball, timing the ball, movement, et cetera. Um, but really, for most of these kids, it's just exposure to the game and um, something to, you know, for their minds to see that's different, that they're not used to. More of our conversation with Patrick McEnroe in just a moment. But first, it is championship week in college football. There's NFL action. And I have a tennis question for the head odds maker at Bavada, Patrick Morrow. Last week was rivalry weekend in college football. This week, it's all the championship games, all the conference championship games that you can find. Let's highlight a couple of them here. Number six, Oregon against number four, Washington in Las Vegas. The key for this is both these teams will be in the Big Ten next year. So this is their Pac-12 finale and a chance for Washington to get into that top four for the college football national championship playoff. Yeah, that's right, Seth. This one is uh, a pretty close to a win in your in game for both Oregon and Washington. Um, they met previously this season. Uh, Washington was the home team in that game and they came up with a three point victory. Really, really good back and forth one. Uh, looking at the odds in this one, Oregon are currently nine point favorites at this neutral site game. Um, you know, coming into this one, Seth, you have uh, both Michael Penix and Bo Nix uh, right there at the top of the Heisman board. And so uh, both of these guys will be looking to shore up their credentials in this one. And again, you know, uh, it's interesting that Washington comes into this one as an underdog because they haven't lost uh, a single game all year. They played a lot of close ones, including that one against Oregon. But even finishing off against Washington State was a little tight. Oregon State the week prior. So Washington has just you know, also been probably a little bit lucky. So what we're suggesting here is that Oregon is actually the much better team despite the one loss and despite that loss against Washington. But again, they are nine point favorites looking at where the action is currently at. And we're seeing about 65% of all bets on the Ducks right now at the bottom. We'll go from Sin City to Hotlanta, Georgia, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, the number one team in the nation, the Georgia Bulldogs taking on number eight, Alabama. This is a chance for Alabama to get into that playoff. They'll need to win against an amazing Georgia team. Yeah, death taxes and Georgia-Alabama in the SEC championship game. Uh, once again, uh, two of the best teams in football, two teams that we expect to be uh, in this conference championship game, if not the college football playoff itself each year, are right back where they're expected. And uh, it's been an interesting season for both of these two teams. You have Alabama, who lost early on to Texas, uh, took about a third of the season to figure out who their QB was, almost lost to South Florida, uh, almost lost to uh, Auburn this past weekend as well. Uh, and yet this Georgia team, despite being 12-0, and despite being the number one ranked team for, I think, the majority of the season, if not all of it, uh, they've had a lot of tight games themselves. They have not looked nearly as dominant compared to uh, the rest of the field in what has really been a wide open year. So uh, despite Alabama's struggles, uh, you know, Georgia comes into this one in Atlanta as only four point favorites, which would be, of course, their lowest spread of the year so far. 
because that spread is that low, it is attracting attracting a good deal of love. As a result, 80% of all bets so far right now are on Georgia at Bovada. We can't forget the NFL. There's a marquee matchup, and again, it involves those Philadelphia Eagles. They are 10-1, and 5-0 at home, and they host the San Francisco 49ers, one of their top challengers in the NFC. Yeah, Seth, this is uh, easily, easily the game of the week in the NFL, and um, I think people are going to be a little bit surprised when they look at uh, where the odds are. Um you know, the 49ers come into this one uh, the healthiest they've been all year. Debo Samuel's back. Purdy's looking good under center. CMC is looking okay. Uh, the Eagles, um, one of the best Super Bowl losing records of any team since uh, I think the 90s Bills they referenced on Sunday Night Football uh, coming into this one with just a single loss. Usually uh, you see quite the Super Bowl slump for uh, teams that uh, do lose the Super Bowl, often many of them not even making the playoffs again. That said, despite the Eagles being the home team, the 49ers are actually the favorite in this one. They are two and a half point road favorites right now. And um, the betters seem to agree with that. We're seeing about 70% of all bets on the 49ers money line and minus two and a half point spread right now at Bavada. And here on Sports with Friends, we're talking to Patrick McEnroe. Patrick Morrow, let me ask you this. Who are the 2024 favorites in men's tennis that my listeners should look at? One of my favorite things about tennis, Seth, is the variety of surfaces that come into play in all the different majors. And boy, we do love majors because they play those very, very appropriate three out of five sets. Looking at uh, the odds for each individual tournament, which we have uh, up for all four majors in 2024, it's Alcaraz, it's Djokovic. They're both one and two in each of these upcoming uh 2024 events. Looking at the very first tournament coming up, though, with the Aussie Open, uh, we have Alcaraz getting the most amount of bets and uh, Yannick Sinner as well getting uh, a good deal of interest early at the bottom. That's Patrick Morrow. Back to Patrick McEnroe right here on Sports with Friends. I can say this about tennis and why tennis is something that's so special to me. You know, I lost my father uh, last year and what I've said on the podcast in the past is my memories of him are mostly of him healthy, like growing up memories. Right. Uh, But in his later life, he had Alzheimer's and the last thing he held on to was tennis. Like he he was losing memory of so many things. He Mm. never forgot us before he passed. But he remembered tennis and to put that stinking tennis channel on in front of him <laughs> right. made the difference. And he it didn't matter if he was watching a match from three months ago or something that was live in the middle of the night from the other side of the world that they were replaying. Whatever it was, it didn't matter. And for that, I'll always be grateful that there was something that he had that he dug when he was healthy, that he also dug when he wasn't so healthy. I just wanted to throw that out. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, one of the things that's been really cool for me, Seth, is, you know, working at the academy over the years. I've been there about six, seven years now, you know, shortly after I left the USCA when I was running player development. And that was dealing Mm -hmm. with, you know, top level kids. And I remember uh, you talking about that when you Yeah, when I was on with you before. Um, But this has kind of enabled me to be, see kids that, aren't high level kids and see the joy that some of them get just improving in tennis. You know, they're, they're, they're barely high school level players, but they just, they, they, you know, and and some of my, my favorite moments as a coach 
or with those kind of kids because they really appreciate it. And also to your point about about your dad, I've I've been able to get on the court with a lot of adults that are a lot older than we are, yeah. who just have such an appreciation for the game and still at 70, 75 years old are like into it. You know, they're like, how can I get better? Like figuring out their strokes and like, I admire that because I, I, I played tennis partly because I was good at it and I was naturally good at it. And I admire people that, that don't have that kind of talent, but that, that work on it and continue to work on it even when they ain't that good at it. And they just something that they want to do as they get older. So it's been very rewarding for me to see those types of people in this position I'm in now, because I get to see people of all different backgrounds and skill levels get that enjoyment from something that, you know, as you said, has been a part of my entire life. Yeah. I want to finish the podcast on today's game and, and, and the sport. And I have this personal debate that personally, I just think what the women's game is more entertaining than the men's game. Um, But the play-by-play when you call matches. Now I have often said as somebody who's followed tournaments pretty closely television play-by-play of tennis is as close to a talk show as there is. It feels like you're doing a talk show. Um, But when you were brought on, if I'm forgive me, if I'm mistaken, you were brought in as an analyst and now you kind of drive the bus sometimes with your brother, your brother was sick. You know, like he, he, he missed a couple of matches or whatever you're doing it with other people, whatever. We've had Cliff Drysdale on the podcast. He's a play-by-play guy. He's never going to sit in the analyst chair. What's your thought on the transition? Was it something that you wanted? Was it something that ESPN wanted? How did that come about? Well, interesting. Oh, and and, and I'm not kissing your ass, but you're very good at it. I appreciate it. Thank you, Seth. By the way, Cliff Drysdale was, did start as a color guy when he first started. He was similar. Before my time then. Yeah, well, exactly. He's he's, uh, been around a long, he's been on, he was on the first ever ESPN tennis broadcast, which was the Davis Cup. Match yes, I remember that. Yes. Years ago. But anyway, he's sort of like a big brother, you know, mentor to me. Because when I first started, Seth, I was sort of the third guy with him and Fred Stolle. I was I started as a courtside guy. And then they put me in as sort of the main color guy with Cliff. So I actually learned a lot from Cliff because he was had started in a similar fashion than I did. And essentially, over time... First of all, it was a new challenge to to go from analyst to, to, to play by play. I also figured it would give me a better chance to keep my job for longer if I could develop, you know, different skills, which was part of the reason why, you know, I I, I dabbled in radio. You know, I, I tried to get on some of the other ESPN sports, you know, talk shows that are, mm-hmm. you know, the first takes of the world it used to be cold pizza. If cold you pizza. remember that, sure. I did. Cold I, used pizza. To be sort yep. of, I used to be sort of a semi regular on that show when Skip Bayless was first starting out. So I really enjoyed doing things outside my, I guess my comfort zone initially, Mm -hmm. you know, now it's, it's, I can, I can say it's all pretty much in my comfort. I'll do a play by play match. uh, And then the next match I could be doing color, you know, like I might do a play by play with my brother and then literally turn around and do a match with Cliff where I'm doing, um, I'm the color guy. Uh, So I really enjoy that part of it. It's not, I don't find it that different doing color to play by play, you know, play by it's not as because tennis is not as structured as the other sports, you know, commentating whether it's football or, 
you know, I think it's more similar to baseball. You don't have to say that it's 30, 30. That's not, yeah, you, I mean, if you're, you don't have to interrupt your analyst to, to claim right. that they see it like, on the screen. Yeah. I mean, you, you throw those things in, you do a little more background on the players. You obviously got to get in and out of commercial. So those kind of things, but really it's not that different. If, you know, I always feel that two people or three people talking tennis is, is the best broadcast you can have, you know, not, not, so delineated between roles um so i've been able to kind of do that over the years um and you know i i knew when my brother when espn started to get big into tennis stuff um mm -hmm. and get the majors I, I i could see the writing on the wall that my brother was likely at some point going to join mm -hmm. and if he joined the espn team um you know he was kind of kind of be the number one color guy and uh, so it in a lot of ways I did it because I, I wanted to work with my brother um, initially. And uh, you know, that's worked out over the years. I mean, you know, to sit with him for the Wimbledon uh, the chemistry Center with you guys is yeah. it's palpable. It's so funny. So, you know, I think we both got comfortable with it and more and more comfortable over the years as I sort of, I think I had to prove myself even to him initially that I could do that. And um, you know, I'm glad that it's still going and we're still going strong. Actually, we're going back to Australia this year, which I'm very happy about. That's great. Because we haven't been able to go the last couple of years because of the pandemic and so on. So um, that's one of my favorite events to cover. So I'm excited to go back there in January. Yeah. One thing that we have talked about on the podcast is uh, there are no health concerns when it comes to having announcers at events. It's not <laughs> right. health anymore. Right. And there should they should be my other rule. And I'm sorry, but ESPN is guilty of this. If the announcers are not there, do not put them on camera. No one needs to know <laughs> they're not right. there. Right. Right. All right. When, they, when, when I see my boy Anish Shroff, who I love <laughs> sitting in his kitchen, it doesn't it takes something from the broadcast. Right. Yeah, yeah, Just yeah, don't yeah. put I him agree. on camera. Let him yep. do it in his pajamas. It doesn't matter. That's just that. My personal if, take: If, if you're, if you're going to see them, they better be there. Is what you're right. saying? If yeah. they're going to see them, be there. Right. I, I can't disagree with that. This sport uh, has the majors, and the majors are global phenomenons. They have audiences that I don't think the casual fan can recognize. Just how massive all four of the majors are. Does tennis have a an issue with? getting the casual fan to see more in between these majors or are the majors enough? And I'm not trying to put more money into people's pockets, but if the product's good, why are we watching the product for two weeks, four times a year when there's something going on all the time? I think that's the $64,000 question in tennis, to be honest. I mean, you're that's why sports with friends has 400 episodes and holding yeah. only has 200. Exactly. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's, it's been, people have been trying to figure it out forever is, is the bottom line. And nobody's really figured it out. I mean, listen, I, I've spent many years covering, you know, those tier events just below the majors, you know, before ESPN got into the majors when we were just kind of coming up you know, Indian Wells, Miami, Cincinnati, Whatever, yeah. you know, great. All the top players. Yeah. Everybody there. And you could get Nadal Federer final in right. March or April, you know, in Indian Wells or Miami packed stadium, unbelievable vibe. 
and it would do no rating. Right. No rating. And you're just like, you're scratching your head. And, you know, we all know that there's the other sports that are going on at certain times. It's March Madness that time of year or, you know, it's NBA finals during the French Open, things like that. It's a football season, you know, once the U.S. Open is over. But it's it's really something that is confused people for years to, to not really be able to figure it out. Um, you're seeing the, those bigger events now go to they're almost like trying to become like mini slams. You know, they went, they've gone from 10 days. Now they're 12 days. It looks like it's going to be 14 days, you know, moving forward, men and women playing together. So I think the tour is going more and more in that direction. But it's something about the majors, Seth, particularly Wimbledon and the U.S. Open in, in this country. You know, you go to France, you know, the French Open is huge. You go to oh. Australia, as I mentioned. I mean, that's like the biggest sporting event in their country um, all year the Australian Open Tennis Tournament. It doesn't resonate as much here because of the time difference and it's in January. Um, but if you had to, if you could figure that part out, why tennis isn't as successful as particularly television wise, because I think the events themselves are quite successful, the higher level events, some of those mid-level events really rely on, I think, local star power. Mm -hmm. So in the last 15 years, you know, the U.S. hasn't had that many marquee male players at the top, top of the game. You know, in the years when it was my brother and Connors and then Agassi and Sampras and Courier, you know, this small events in the States would do pretty well. But mm. now those those events don't do as well. And you're not going to get Federer, Djokovic, Nadal to play those events unless they're the highest tier events. Um, so it's a, an ongoing dilemma for tennis worldwide there's no doubt about it let's do the men's tennis first for years it was nadal federer Djokovic, and everyone else it's fair fair to say every it was, it yep. was everybody else their rivalry yeah then as federer and nadal's careers are coming to an end i thought the field would open up you know how long could Djokovic do it you know that 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 was just in my head and then Carlos Alcaraz comes in. And I guess my question is, is Carlos Alcaraz that much better than the field, save for Novak Djokovic, because he's the holdover from the other generation? Is Carlos Alcaraz going to dominate this sport to the extent of we will never know how good Tsitsipas or or Medvedev or Sinner is or the Americans Taylor Fritz Tommy Paul Tiafo uh, Shelton, right? All these guys will be in the also ran category, the, the the second tier, as good as they are because they're amazing to watch. But Alcaraz is going to he's twenty. When he's twenty four, is he going to be that dominant that there won't be? It, it would be a massive upset when he doesn't win. I don't think so. I don't think he's going to be that dominant. I think he's going to be great. I mean, he's already great. He's won two majors already. Um, but to have the the staying power that we saw from the big three is almost unheard of. And and the and what Djokovic is doing now, particularly in his thirties, is is insane. So you're and and many of us tennis experts would have said two three years ago. Okay, you know, Fed's retiring. Rafa's you know he's going to try to come back, but He's near the end. 
none of us would have said Djokovic is going to win three majors, you know, in a couple of different years in these last few years and totally dominate. That being said, I think Sinner's got a chance to be right there with Alcaraz. He's particularly improved in the last, you know, six months. Um, I think Ben Shelton's got a chance to be in the conversation. I think Medvedev's going to be around. Ben Shelton's 21 for the listeners. Yeah, Medvedev's going to be, you know, like he'll be like a Murray or Vavrinka. Those guys won three majors each. Yeah. You know, they, they they weren't at that level, but they were great players. Uh, Medvedev's won one. You know, I think he's got a couple more in him. I think Alcaraz has the most upside. Okay. Um, but the, the biggest thing, Seth, is, is, is the staying power, and that's a couple of different things. Obviously, health, being able to stay healthy, recover from injuries, which are inevitable at some point. You hope you don't have a serious one. And then have the mental wherewithal to be that guy at the top of the mountain for that long, that takes a toll on people. And I think in some ways, the fact that Federer and Nadal Djokovic had each other, it took a little bit of the pressure off of each other as they, you know, got older. They were always sort of gunning, what's he doing? Okay, the pressure, it wasn't, the pressure wasn't all on them every time. So I think, I think Sinner's a guy that's got potential. I think Runa is a great talent. Uh, You mentioned some of the Americans, that will be in the mix. But I think of the guys that have a chance to be a, a multiple major winner, I'd put Shelton at the top of that list. Maybe Sebastian Corda, who's, you know, a year or so mm-hmm. older than Shelton, but still quite a bit younger than Tiafo, Fritz, Paul, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I definitely think we've got some great personalities that are Americans. And I think, um, you know, Alcaraz is going to be there. And as you said, he can win on every surface. He can win. He's already won on every surface. Of the a group of Americans, they all are fascinating. The Netflix Breakpoint show, I thought, portrayed Taylor Fritz, uh, Tiafo so much. Tiafo, that's my my target, and uh, all the PR guys at the U.S. Open know uh, he. I need him on Sports with Friends. He, he is a fascinating individual, and the story yep. that he told at one of the press conferences about. And then it was on the documentary, too, about how he, the only way he could play tennis was because his dad worked at a, at a, at a tennis club. And, and it just the, the the sheer joy that he seems to have, it's not to take anything away from any of the others. I just gravitated toward him. Uh, I would go when he was playing. That That's how uh, much I was impressed with him. It just seems like all of them, and I'm not asking you to single him out, it just seems like they are so easy to root for they are such good guys and you can tell me if one of them is an asshole just tell me so i can stop watching <laughs> no none of them are and and those and those four guys grew up together because i was running the usta program at that time tiafo uh, tommy paul fritz and opelka who yeah. hopefully will come back this coming year he's had some tough injuries but tiafo not only does he love tennis seth he loves life I mean, that's 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 what I've been around lucky enough to be around him, particularly at the Labor Cup in the last few years. And he's just so much fun to be around. He's such a great team guy. You know, he just he really enjoys life. Um, he's figured out how to take advantage of his ability. I think he's hit a little bit of a marker now where he's thinking like, OK, how do I get to the next level? You know, he's become a solid 10 to 15 guy. Now he's trying to figure out, okay, what what do I need to do to have a chance to win one of these? 
um, majors, but great guy. They're all, they all push each other, which, which is a good thing. They, 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 they support each other, but they're competitive with each other. And I think that's going to keep them all hanging around, you know, that eight to 20 area. Maybe one of them can, can break through. As I said, I think Shelton and, and Corda have the most all around ability and Shelton, I mean, this guy's got some moxie. I mean, he just got, he's got the it factor in addition to, you know, the monster serve and, and the rest of the game. He just loves the big stage. I mean, there's no other place he wants to be than out there at crunch time. So he's the kind of guy that I look at, Seth, and I say, he's got all the intangibles. If he can improve a couple of the tangibles, the basic one-two punch of tennis, the consistency, the not giving points away, not double faulty. You know, if he can fix, improve those, I think he can win some majors. They're just so enjoyable to watch. Uh, they really are. On the women's side, it's more wide open. And the interesting part about women, the state of women's tennis is it reminds me of the Big East in the 80s. <laughs> you know, right. they're all great. And any one tournament, whether it's a major, minor, whatever, whatever tournament it is, uh, one week it'll be Pagula, one week it'll be Jabor, one week it'll be Bakova, Sakari, uh, Igus Fiatek is amazing, Sabalenka is incredible. She looks like Wonder Woman. It, 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 oh no, that's Rabakina. Sorry. <laughs> Let me redo that. Let me. She's good that. too. Yeah. They're they're all fascinating. Um, and it's just more wide open. Why is it? that women's tennis is more wide open. And again, to me, it's the wide open nature of it that makes me gravitate toward it more. I, I, I don't know. It's it, whenever, it, whatever tournament, whether watching on television or attending or covering, what, whatever it is, you never know who's going to win. I mean, I think that's, a, that's an awesome part of the women's game. It, I think it's hurt the women's game a little bit as well because they haven't had sort of that, that bankable, big time star you know they obviously had that with Steffi Graf with Monica Seles you know with the, obviously then with Venus and, and particularly Serena over the years uh, you had other you know great players that came in in those windows Kleisters, Justine Anna, Sharapova and I think now you're seeing the 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 women players this is how I, I look at it. this will be something that might surprise you Seth they haven't quite entirely caught up to the technology of the game right so they've got they have the power but the men have are a little bit ahead and that the men have the power and then they learn how to play finesse as well like play the slice play the drop shot play with heavy topspin the women for the most part play a pretty similar game big and you know big athletic um hitting the ball relatively straight, which is mean relatively flat, like Rabakina, um, Sabalenka, yep. um, you know, the other ones you mentioned, Pagula hits a flat ball, you know, Coco can play with a little more variety, which is how she won the open, by the way, because yep. Brad Gilbert said, listen, you got to play with more spin, use your defensive skill. Sviantec's the, the one that Brad has Gilbert and other sports with friends. Yeah. Uh, Sviantec I think has the most overall game at the moment. And she is, is I think, the best athlete. She's a f unbelievably fast, um, covers the court incredibly well. Um, and she can dominate when she's on. But when she goes off, you know, the, and some of the other big hitters can sort of hit through her. So I think it's interesting, the women's game, because um, 
like you said, it's it's way more unpredictable. You know, when you get to the majors, I mean, Pagula, you know, we've got Pagula, Goff, um, you know, Madison Keys had some good runs this year as well on the American side. Mm-hmm. And then you've got, you know, a bunch of players. I mean, you, you could make an argument that there's 15 to 20 players that could win the Australian Open. You know, I think you saw them distance themselves a bit in the last year with Sabalenka, Sviantec, Rabakina, you know, doing well. But for the most, I mean, Von Drusova winning Wimbledon. I mean, she's a solid player. Don't get me wrong. But there's like, there's 20 other Von Drusovas out there who could, who could, you know, get hot and win. And so I think the difference is the better, the top men are more, are, are better than, you know, if you're, if you're top three or four, you're just that much better than a guy who's 15 to 20. Okay. And it's not the same in the women. The, 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 the difference is not as great. And then also you factor in best of five in the majors. So best of five means, you know, the better player is more often going to win, whereas the women play two out of three in the majors. So there's, you know, a, a slightly better chance that there could be upsets in two out of three than best of five. Okay. I, 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 I get this all the time when people, when I do tennis podcasts, this, this, this debate happens all the time. I think the thing you just said is my, my biggest debate uh, in tennis. And that is three out of five versus two out of three. We are living in an age where attention spans are shorter and streaming services are dominant. And what I love about a women's match is whoever wins set one the loser of set one has their back against the wall instantly and it is instant gratification she either responds or she doesn't and it's over and you you could spend a day watching women's matches then i've seen other tournaments because of the bloody tennis channel and I've seen men play two out of three, and I go, that's incredible because like a relief pitcher versus a starting pitcher, they throw the kitchen sink at you in terms of energy to win in two out of three because they don't have to pace themselves because there's nothing to conserve because you just let it all hang out. And to me, you see the best of these players. We have the greatest athletes in the world. What's your theory on Two versus three versus three out of five. There is no wrong answer, even though to me, and again, this is just my opinion, two out of three is a more compelling viewing experience. Well, it's a quicker viewing experience. I, I'm not sure I would argue it's more compelling because, you know, the matches that most people remember are five set matches that go the distance. And like you said, you may not, people may not sit there and watch all five sets of the Wimbledon final if it goes to five or the U.S. Open. But the numbers don't lie. As you get to the fourth and fifth set, you know, we see the numbers on ESPN. The rating goes up. So people start to watch more and more, more so than now. Would that happen in two out of three? Maybe. I mean, you know, there's been the Olympics or other events that, you know, you, you know Cincinnati final this year was almost four hours with uh, Djokovic and Alcaraz, one of the greatest matches ever. That but, you've ever seen. You couldn't you couldn't take your right. eyes off it. But I think when you get the, the dynamic of best of five and the, the, the twists and turns that can happen. Look, if you play a tie break to 10, you know, now they have to, to, to champ the super tie break, you know, the, the better player is going to win most of the time. 
Okay. I don't care how long the match is. If I go out and play someone, it's five points. You know, the, the, dif the difference isn't going to be as great because as you play longer in a sport like tennis, you know, generally the better player will win more over the long run. But I think there's something about the five set thing. And you said it like there's no pacing yourself. I mean, there is pacing yourself, yeah, sure. which, which I think is an important part war of, of attrition. the game. Yeah, not not a war of attrition. It's a, it's also strategic. And I think there's something about tennis, the scoring of tennis. You know, tennis isn't cumulative like other mm. sports. So there's the idea that you can lose a set 6-1 and then win the next set 7-6, and it's it's a set all. Like there's something about the and, – and I think that ties into best of five because, you you know, I remember winning two sets at the Australian Open against Andre Chesnikov. I won the second and third set 6-1, 6-1, and I still lost the match right. in five sets. Right. So I think there's – And that, that happens dynamic, more often than not. It, it happens, and I think it's part of um, – you asked me earlier why the major is so much more popular. I think that's part of the reason. Part of it is the three out of five? I think it's partly the bet okay. three out of five and, you know, people that go to the event that are real tennis fans that go the first eight days when they can see all the outer court, they're, they're like, where's, well, that match in the fourth, that's in the fifth set. I got to see that. Hmm. I got to see that match. I used to do that as a kid. When I used to go to the U S open, I would take the scores and any match that was late in the match, I'd go, I'm running over there to check out the fifth set. And I think it's a little bit different when it's two out of three. You, you know, you of course it's four all in the third. You want to see it, but there's something about like how, and as a player, you remember like how much you got to dig in, mm -hmm. you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, to be out there, you know, anywhere from three and a half to six hours on the court, and that's unique to tennis. Tennis to me is in a great place. It just seems to be in a very good place. Um, there's certainly something about the growth of the sport. You know, a lot of times it's compared whether fairly or unfairly to golf and golf had Tiger Woods and tennis had Serena Williams. Right. And you know, these, 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 when I, and when I compare them, I'm talking about these athletes that transcend the sport, even, you know, that, that people, you know, that don't even watch the sport, know who the, the these people are. It feels like tennis is in a good place. There's star power, but there's also, I think the the access, you know, the streaming services and and things like that. The access to tennis is greater. It's easier to watch if you want to. Um, it just seems like it's in a good place. I wouldn't say satisfied, but I would say right. There's it's it's dealing from a position of strength. Yeah, it could be. It could get better. There's no doubt. But I think your point, if you if you want to watch tennis, you can. Um, and as you said, the depth in the game is much better than it's ever been, particularly on the women's side, which is part of the reason why it's so wide open. Um, the men's side, I mean, you've got guys that are, you've seen this in the last few years in majors, you know, guys that are what we call challenger players, which are basically like triple A players in baseball, you know, they, they qualify, they could win three or four rounds in a major. They can beat, you know, they can't beat Djokovic, but they can beat guys that are eight to 20 in the world. And I think that's that's a difference. You've got you know the level of play has gone up significantly down the line. You know to you know men two fifty three hundred guys in the world that can you know they're not that far away from being someone ranked forty in the world. You know fifty in the world. So I think that and plus the international nature of the sport has gotten 
more and more, you know, diversified with players. You know, it's always been very international, but it, even more so now, um, which just makes the game, you know, worldwide more popular. And, you know, we, we, we always have the challenge in this country that tennis is, you know, the eighth or 10th biggest sport in the country. And in Europe, it's second or third, you know, pretty much every European country behind soccer and, you know, maybe one or two rugby or, basketball in spain or whatever it is but you know tennis is that much is that big in european in 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 the european countries i love the um the international fan base uh at some of these tournaments not just the u.s open i i've seen the fans from different places uh fans vote for their countrymen and countrywomen like it is like you've oh, never yeah. been before the the alliance uh is, with that it's really it's a cool thing and i think it's a different sport as opposed to rooting for a team even in soccer where the premier league is massive people root for teams not necessarily players you know they they root for their team uh whatever your favorite team is in tennis i think a fan just jumps on a player, man, woman, whatever it is, jumps on a player and rides and dies with that player. Their ups and downs. You know, it's amazing when I go on my social media and I say something, you know, whether it's something positive about Djokovic or Nadal or all the fans come out, you know, and you said, how could you say something nice about Nadal? You're dissing Djokovic. It's like the fan bases for these guys are crazy. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no, you can, I can say something positive about Djokovic. That doesn't mean I'm saying anything negative about these other guys. That's right. This has been a remarkable era. And I tell you, what Djokovic is still doing is, it, it's just mind boggling. And, uh, you know, right now, if the Australian Open started tomorrow, guess what? He's a heavy favorite to win it again, which is just crazy. Crazy. Yeah, it is. Patrick, continued success. Thank you again. While we were doing the podcast, I did a little bit of math. This is episode 431. You came on 59. That means 372 episodes between your appearances. All right, we can't, we can't, we can't, we can't wait that, that right. long again. Yeah, yeah that's not happening that again. Long. You're coming on right, uh, sometime closer uh, again. We can't let that happen. But continued success to you. Uh, you're doing great on television, great off with, with the clinics and everything. Enjoy Tanzania. Uh, report back when you're a great follow on social media. And we'll see you next time. Sounds good, Seth. Thanks for having me again. Talk to you soon. Patrick McEnroe, his second appearance on Sports with Friends. This was better than the first one. I hope you go back and listen to that one. I did. Thanks for the support on the podcast. Thank you for the ratings, the reviews. Please continue to give reviews. Please, just the good ones. If you have an issue, you can always reach out to me on social media. But that's how iTunes markets podcasts. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I'm about to go, and then you'll know for me to stay, I got to be me. Person. Mm-hmm.